I'm just going to start calling you Mr. Sophistication. <laughs> well, I okay. do have my snidely mustache drawn on today, so that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sweaty and I got a top hat on. <laughs> which, and that's like every day with you, which is great. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Always with the top hat. Yeah. So today, Screamers, we're back with another episode where we try and figure out how to make our way in the world while facing all kinds of adversity. <laughs> we're talking about the latest Fort Worth Film Club screening, Real Women Have Curves, as well as discussing more Cassavetes, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and Opening Night. Uh, and like you said earlier, these are really kind of low-key, enjoyable <laughs> Right, yeah. They're, they're, it is... They're light in a Disney Channel kind of way. It's like, uh, it's you know, you just pop them on, you bounce in wherever you want, and you're fine. You're unchanged after you see it. Right. There's no tension. There's no emotional at, at heartbreak or, yeah. Right. No, nothing. Nothing. I'm never on the edge of my seat or sort of like <laughs> looking away from, from what's going on on the screen. I do feel like this, we should be watching this in like a... Um, in a, um, you know, one of those sunken living room, living rooms with shag carpeting <laughs> and about six cigarettes going at any given time. Different um, ashtrays around the house. Right. Nothing to drink but bourbon um, <laughs> or some sort of gimlet, you know, just <laughs> at the ready. Right. Really, n n no more than two ingredients in any drink, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> There's milk in the house, but that's only for white Russians. It's basically... <laughs> and for upset stomachs. <laughs> it really is just heavy cream. Yeah, the freezer's got ice and vodka in it, and the refrigerator's got another pack of cigarettes and Pepto-Bismol. And last night's I, Chinese takeout. I, I, I knew a girl who used to keep her cash behind her vodka in the icebox. Well, you know. That's... <laughs> It made sense. Whatever makes you feel better about. You can get a 20, it's behind the vodka. What? <laughs> Your financial situation. <laughs> yeah. I know. No one looked there, so. <laughs> I wouldn't think about it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, these are just, I don't know if we do ourselves a very good favor of watching. We haven't chosen filmmakers that have easy films to watch and then watching them in quick succession. Um it, there's just nothing there's nothing light about any of these films and they're all challenging to the degree of having to pay attention to having to be mentally engaged in them to be straining to hear the dialogue um and to and there's these films are unforgiving they they don't give you anything like so you've got to figure out like you don't want to watch this with a spouse who's always saying who's that guy <laughs> or what did that man say or <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> back it up <laughs> like what happened there i don't understand is, is that how you watch these films <laughs> <laughs> no i don't these aren't movies that i'm watching with my significant other um I, we're currently yeah. in the middle of a binge of veronica mars which is in, in and of itself its own challenge okay wait 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 I, I i need to stop you because we did this like a few years ago um, I know that Veronica Mars is the hero of her own show, but man, I do not like her very much. I want to, I want to, but God, she's, she, and she doesn't seem like a very good friend. No, no. She is very much a, an, a user and, and kind of, a, of an, she's a much of kind of abuser too. I mean, like she runs roughshod. She definitely, once she got um, raped, um, when, of course, when you find out, I guess you do actually find out in season two that it actually was a rape. Um, right. And that it, and 
uh, anyway, uh, once she, once <laughs> she, was, she was roofied and it was, yeah. Right. She was roofied and her, and the, her boyfriend slept with her, but he also thought that, um, they were brother and sister at the time, which turns out they weren't. But then in season two, you find out that she was also raped by Cassidy Casablanca's spoiler alerts, but, <laughs> and he gave her chlamydia. That was a long, that, that was a long dormant right. <laughs> case of chlamydia. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, no, she's not a good person. And, and like everyone around her, like especially her boyfriends, um, what I, you know, especially the cop, the cop, the guy who ended up playing um, Max Greenfield, who ended oh, up yeah. being on The New Girl, right, where right, he's right, right. got to start out on, on Veronica Mars. He was such a nice guy to her. I mean, obviously he was too old for her, but he was such a nice guy to her. She just completely <laughs> reused that relationship. There, there is like no way to talk about this show and the relationships without like, realizing the toxicity around them, like, as we're talking about them. Right. I mean, like, her friendship with Wallace is completely one-sided. One um, I mean, granted, she does cut him down, but only out of, um, just out of a, a sense Spite of... Spite for everyone else. Well, right. And, and also kind of a, a connectedness to being an outsider and, being, and herself feeling ostracized, which... As you go through the show, you realize that she's not nearly as ostracized as she makes herself out to be. <laughs> she wouldn't want us to believe. Right. Right. And also Neptune, California is a town of about 40 people. Like, it's always surprising to me that they introduce people that they don't know in that in the show. Like, occasionally people will come <laughs> like, up and how, how do you not know them, right? <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and Hector's from the wrong side of the tracks, but you're like, there are no tracks in this town. Right, right. Yeah, that. he just steal. he must be stealing the same cars over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> or from outside of Neptune, mm-hmm. I guess. But. but also, I mean, how, again, like, how easy is it to sort of cut down Hector? And, and not in the literal sense of, like, Wallace being cut down, but just... Hector becomes sort of like a punching bag for all of these people. Like the one, the one Latin kid in town. I know, I know, right? <laughs> Just all of all, the, all of the Latin kids are. I mean, this this show is not progressive at all. Of course, it's produced by Joel Silver. You know, it's not. It's not <laughs> right. Of course, we weren't expecting it to be <laughs> the paramount of virtue here. But like every Latin kid in in the in the school is in a gang. Um, you know, the one black kid or the, the only black kids you ever see. And the one main black character is also a basketball player. Right, right. Um, everyone else just plays soccer and is rich, you know, and, and like all the white kids are rich. So like like a typical sort of American suburb. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, um, yeah, how do we get on Veronica Mars? It doesn't Oh, matter. we were just talking about I don't matter. watch Cassavetes yeah. with my wife. I just right. watch Veronica Mars. You just Mars. watch Veronica Mars. It makes Do you me have feel these good. conversations about Veronica Mars with your wife? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. There's a really good um, rewatch podcast for uh, Veronica Mars. Um, I, I don't know the name of it. Okay. We just started getting into it, but it's a, but one of the women women on it are they're very smart and funny, and one of them is British, so that adds an extra level of like air of fanciness to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you really know what you're talking about with that. <laughs> um, the one thing I like about Veronica Mars is I like how shitty all of the characters are with their quips and their dialogue. Mm-hmm. The dialogue, it's it. It's Gilmore Girls level dialogue without the guilt of me watching a show about, you know, about the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I don't have to have that level of creepy. Oh, you know, it's still a little creepy because they're high school. But now, now season three, she's in she's in Neptune College or whatever. For some reason, she didn't end up going to Stanford. I don't know what the. There's a whole lot of things lost in translation there, but. Um, 
a lot of it's not explained. It's okay. It's like a lot of uh, Veronica Mars in between seasons is a lot like a Cassavetes film. True. There's just a lot of stuff that just kind of like they skip over and they just expect you to catch up. Things just happen. <laughs> I mean, things just happen. Right. But yeah, no, Veronica Mars sucks. I mean, like the show's great. She is a terrible She's person. So You brought in the Gilmore Girls, and one of the stars is, what's her name? Alexis Bedell, mm -hmm. yeah. who was also in The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants with America, America Ferrera. Ferrera, who was in Real Women Have Curves. <laughs> you you see how I did that? Right, you bring about, you right. see how we, how we, we Kevin Bacon, that segue we, out. We, we Kevin Baconed our way over there. Yes, we <laughs> Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Wait, could we? No. Right. I want you to see me. See, this is what I look like. Que bonita. Tomorrow you'll come to work with us in the factory. What? If we don't help your sister, who else is going to? What do you mean not going to college? Anna has an appetite for life. Are you going to be working here full time? Just until I find a better job. Oh, me too. I'm just working here until I win the lottery. For love. I had a nice night tonight. I guess this is good night. For ideas. A man wants a virgin. You're so old-fashioned. A woman has thoughts. A mind of her own. A mind. Thoughts. But not everyone appreciates where it's taking her. Anna is going to go to college, but not now. We are a family, and we intend to stay that way. This is a sweatshop. I'm grateful for what Amma has taught me, and I'm proud of what I do. Gosa. Jimmy, does your mom understand you? You'll never fit into that one. It's a size seven. It's like she hates me. She thinks I'm fat and I'm ugly and gotten. Nice You're not fat. You're beautiful. You lost your virginity, didn't you? Tell me you're imagining things. I can tell. Por qué no te diste tu valor? You would say that, wouldn't you? I'm not your baby anymore. What is wrong with your sister? Si te quieres ir, lárgate. Girls nowadays think they know so much. It's so hot in here. Look at you. The two of you should lose weight. This is who we are, Mama. I look like a cow. Mostly shot. Look at my hips. You want to see cellulite? Here we go. Hana. Excuse me, ladies. You want stretch marks? Estela. Ladies. Oh, look how beautiful we are. Who cares what we look like? Let's let it all hang out. <laughs> you could be beautiful. Stop it. Real women have curves. Anna, don't eat the fly. Anyway, we could, but don't we could, but let's not do that. Here's the, here's a real brief plot line of Real Women Have Curves. In East Los Angeles, an 18-year-old struggles between her ambitions of going to college and the desires of her domineering mother to force her to get married, have children, and oversee the small, rundown, family-owned textile factory. Yeah. Oh, that was weird. No, no, I don't why? know. I feel like I read that weird. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. accurate either okay. way. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, a young coming to age, young. I mean, a coming of age story for it, you don't get a lot of like middle age coming of age stories. But why not? Like I, we the, could, right? Outside of like Jonathan Winters on Mork and Mindy, you don't get a lot of that. Okay, <laughs> maybe maybe we should advocate for more of those. 
Yeah, I think. Well, I think, I think what the world needs is like more like white middle aged male coming of age stories. Right. And where do they finally? Well, get... I mean, we just saw Oppenheimer, so that's <laughs> this is true. That counts. Um, so uh, yeah, directed by a Latinx, a Latina um, director, written by a Latina uh, screenwriter, playwright. Uh, Patricia Cordoso and Josefina Lopez is the writer. She wrote it when she was 18 as a stage play, shopped it around for a few years, worked on the script with a gentleman named George Lavoux, I think, how you pronounce his name, I'm sure. Um, and then, yeah, they were able to secure financing and, and uh, became a Sundance Audience Award winner and, and some acting awards for America Ferrera and Lupe, ooh, Ontiveros? Ontiveros. I was going to say Oliveros, but yeah, say Ontiveros, uh, who was the bad guy in Selena and a bunch oh, of other things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Huh. I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, what do you, overall, what are your impressions of uh, Real Women Have Curves? So, I am not a huge fan of feel good movies. <laughs> right. Right. And, right. And, and, <laughs> If you didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think this is a very well-made, well-put-together movie. And I think it does a lot more than just, oh, this is how, like, this woman goes to college. I think it's doing a lot of work with body positivity, with female sexual empowerment, and also looking at generation divide and, and cultural divides as well. Um, I look, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a good solid film. Um, is it one of my go-tos? No, but it's good. Yeah, I will agree with you. I think it is a good solid film. Um, I do think the representation portion of it is important. I do think Mm -hmm. the fact that there, it's weird that looking back on this and reading about it, that really in 20, 2002, Mm -hmm. when this gets released, that we're still in the age of Latin films or, or Latin characterizations. I mean, Veronica Mars is 2006 and seven. Um, and they're still talking about, I mean, and this yeah. is a TV show where the Latin character, the main Latin character is a hoodlum, you know, he's a gangbanger essentially. Um, he's and a so petty criminal, <laughs> well, he runs, he runs the PCHers, right? So I did not expect us to talk this much about Veronica Mars today. <laughs> He does run there. But, like, I mean, I, he's never packing a gun. No, no, he's no. He's never doing, Look, they're never doing drive he, I mean, de- He's definitely anti-selling drugs. Yeah. Um, he, he never crip walks on anybody. He just, like the, 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 like the Williams sisters. Um, <laughs> and Snoop on the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, I think, it's, it's, so it's weird to me that we were still in the era of these guys are the top button on the, I mean, they're just, you know, they're this, this characterization that wasn't normalized families. I mean, um, and that you weren't like George Lopez show wouldn't, not that that's necessarily a, you know, the, the, the benchmark for, um, you know, Latin representation in media, but it was probably one of the first, um, television shows that featured and predominantly featured a Latin family, if I'm not forgetting something. Um, so it's weird to me that, that, we had not really progressed to a point where we're having Latin families in these types of movies, or we're not depicting Latin families um, in as in as much as as not showing them in a gang ridden or a low, lower lower class um, environment. And these are definitely working class citizens. These are blue collar citizens. Um, 
but that's really, but they're not like, and yeah, you see them working for rich white people. I mean, essentially, because they're making dresses for for Bloomingdale's and, and her and her father is working, you know, lawn care um, for mansions and things like that. But it looks like he runs his own company kind of thing that he's in part of it. So um, it's in. It's a nice, I guess, slice of life where we're not having to tell that story, right? Where, yeah, yeah, her sister is struggling, but her sister is struggling mainly because capitalism. Ca- one capitalism, yes, she, and and she does, and she's struggling because she doesn't realize, um, you know, her own worth and what her product is worth. Um, so the middleman is basically taking out all of her profits, and she's struggling because she has a lack of confidence in herself mm-hmm. and in her ability. And her, you know, uh, you know, you can care, you can chalk that up to whatever you want it to be, um, you know, being a female in the business world or, is, you know, again, the story, the story right. that's being told where right. she, she's shy about asking for things that she needs. She doesn't ask for an advance on the dresses. She doesn't ask her father for a loan to pay the rent, to pay the electricity bills, you know, to get him over the hump. These things that, that would easily be done. And, and Anna is the kind of voice of the next generation, not to go all Pepsi on us, but, um, where she can kind of bridge because she's been exposed to, for lack of a better term, you know, white, I, you know, these, yeah, these, the, no. these white people who don't have these same sort of problems and same sort of hangups and they're not put, they know they they don't have that same sort of weight to carry, um, you know, in this environment, she's been exposed yeah. to that. So, well, and, and, and we get, we get this from Jimmy, her kind of, um, love interest in the story. So Anna takes how many buses to get to Beverly Hills high school. Right. And Jimmy's got a crush on her. And at some point, you know, Jimmy's like, Hey man, this, you need to go to Europe and get a new perspective. I mean, this place is too easy. They give you everything I mean, from the cars, the grades. And she's just like, cool story right 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 <laughs> but so yes she has seen this so she has seen people sort of speak up stand up um act like they own the joint right her older sister has pretty much just been belittled by everyone around her right, <laughs> right. all the time and so including she, her mother include well i think especially her mother right and so she doesn't even though she is in charge even though she runs owns the factory Nobody really pays her the kind of respect that 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 you think that that would kind of accord. Right. 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 And she doesn't really take it either. I mean, like she doesn't demand it. So everyone kind of walks over her throughout the throughout the film. And it's interesting to me that this was written, you know, the original stage play is written for her from Mm -hmm. her perspective. Now, Josefina Lopez grew up in a family very similar to the one that's depicted on screen. They did work in a factory, you know, a sewing factory. So I understand that that being... I understand if I'm an 18-year-old writing this story, and I don't want to necessarily write an autobiographical story as I'm 18 years old, um, especially when dealing with if she, you know, and I'm assuming that she also dealt with those body issues as well, um, to a certain extent anyway, to not put Anna as the the uh, protagonist of the stage play. It makes more sense to make it Estella. Although I have a hard time believing that an 18 year old is telling, telling that story well, to be honest, right. because she doesn't have that experience. She, she could be tangentially exposed to it, but I don't believe she has the experience to really be able to dive deep into that story and to really try to figure out the nuance. And I think that's where this movie, and I hate to be the guy who talks about the negativity of any of this, but I think that's where this movie kind of um, doesn't really reach the that next level of greatness is that it it is told from an 18 year old's perspective and it is kind of a simplistic story and i do i do think that it focuses a little too much i 
on the representation, then it really the, the standout aspects of it to me are the body positivity and the, um, you know, the sexual ownership of, of a young Latina girl growing up in a, what would, you know, a Catholic religious overbearing, um, you know, family structure where she's got generations at home with her. She's sharing a room with an older sister who's in her thirties and she's 29, uh, she's 29 <laughs> almost in her thirties. Um, the, yes, the represent, and I, I mean, we, I mean, I just mentioned that the representation wasn't there in 2002, but I do think the body positivity and the, the ownership of her own sexuality are much more progressive themes than showing Latinas or a Latinx family in kind of a normalized situation that you would normally see, you know, you know, that for, for what we've seen forever with white families on T on screen. Right. And, and, and I agree with you that the, the body positivity, I mean, this wasn't something we saw very often in in films and i went back and looked to see kind of what what movies were out there in 2002 and there weren't a whole lot that were dealing with this like if any right and so well and it was mentioned like sorry i'm gonna step on you no, no, there, it was it was mentioned muriel's wedding at um the screening the last night and i i do feel like i feel like that's i didn't want to i don't want to ever ever talk uh, negatively about someone else's opinion but i but i also kind of feel like that movie when we're talking about um who was in Muriel's wedding? Was it Tony? Well, that wasn't Tony Collette. That was um, was that oh. Tony? Was that Tony? I'm thinking Tony Collette. And then what was the one with um, Ricky Lake? Wasn't there one with? Uh, well, Ricky Lake was. I don't know if there was a body positivity movie. What was? Who was the girlfriend well, in Good, Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> Mini Driver. Mini Driver. There was another movie about Tony, Mini Driver. Tony Collette was. Muriel's okay, so wedding. Tony Collette yeah. was Muriel's wedding, and then there was another movie about Mini Driver kind of being heavy set. Uh, yeah, it was the Maeve Binchy novel. <laughs> yes. No, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. No, no, I'm, right? I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because um, I, but I can't pull the name. It was um, Friends Circle of Friends. Yes, and I feel like that's a little disingenuous because one, Tony Collette and Mini Driver are. And not to say that America Ferreira or anybody in this other movie are not normal size, but these women are not what you would normally. I mean, yes, by Hollywood zero standards, Tony Collette and Muriel and and, and uh, Mini, Mini Driver are not Kristen Bell, <laughs> right? Right. right, um, right. To, to to fully go always go back to Veronica Mars. <laughs> Everything but, goes but, back but, to but, Veronica. But you know, a woman who do, has to wear a, a size twelve is not abnormal or would even be considered i don't and again dancing around these terminologies it, it, look the body positivity of of this movie feels more genuine these are women who yes. you know are you know they're dealing with not having they're dealing with making dresses that, that clearly wouldn't fit them um you know and, and for you know and so but even the, again this feels like more genuine and it also feels more brave in a sense. And I hate to use that terminology when we talk about women who are showing their bodies, who are just, you know, normal people. And, but I mean, especially in 2002, especially for a 17 year old, 18 year old actress to, to do that type of role. I think it's, I mean, I, I thought that was, uh, that, that whole sequence is, is really powerful. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think brave is a perfectly way to phrase it because especially at that time, I mean, well, not even just at that time, but I think even now we have such a strict kind of standard of what we think passes for beautiful. And for someone to stand up and say, fuck that, I'm going to take my clothes off. You're going to deal with it. Right. I think is extremely brave, especially when you imagine what could happen to to young actors when they do something like that. Right. right? And how they could be kind of, you know, 
thrown off to the side. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it today. No. <laughs> I'm like, especially what, I mean, in, the, in the era of the of an active internet, I would not want to do it today. <laughs> right. So, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think brave is exactly the right word. And I don't think it's, it's not brave like Dove Soap brave. And I don't, <laughs> right. and no, I don't no, mean to like throw shade on that campaign, but it's still like meant to sell... <laughs> you know, right, right. A whole bunch of soap, and it's being promoted by a giant corporation, right? Unilever is not small. <laughs> right. Like this woman who's writing a stage play about about this stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think it is brave. Yeah, I, and again. It's her first role. I mean, it's, it's America Ferrera's first role. Right, right. You could see a different world. This goes bad. She never, you know. Right. Well, and, it, and, and it's interesting because Cordosa, Lopez, they struggle. This, I mean, this does well, but mm-hmm. Ferrer is really the only one that kind of comes out mm-hmm. and is able to like take this and go to Sisters of Traveling Pants and and other couple of other you know these other roles where she can kind of and become a star. Uh, yeah, right. Um, you know, so Lopez and Ferrera basically have to kind of continually prove themselves. Uh, Cordosa goes to um, TV pretty pretty yeah. fast right after this, and I think uh, Ava DuVernay gives her a shot directing i forget which series it is but um and so she's been steadily directing but i mean there's not been like they're not lining up they're not greta gerwinging up um Mm -mm. Mm -mm. to to give her films and that's i think that's look i'm not gonna come out here and say that that real women have curves is from a technical perspective or directing perspective all that really all that ambitious there's but i mean i would definitely think to be the ability to to coherently and to manage a budget, to coherently tell a story. Um, if you're winning awards at Sundance, you know, I, I think that's, that says you should get another chance at, 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 at a feature film. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a little surprising that she didn't, she never did another feature. Did she, I was looking at this the other night mm-hmm. and I'm just going through it now. Yeah. No, it's, it's all it's a TV bunch of shorts. And then it's like one TV series. feature. And then, yeah, it was a, I thought a, and I don't mean this in a negative way, even though I usually use this in a negative way, but it's a very competent film. Yeah, no, right? it is. And it, it doesn't and that, get and in that, its own way, and I think that's really important. And that's not anything to shake a stick at when it's your first film either. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at, like, uh, Karen Kusama, who directed Girl Fight in 2001, year right before this, I mean, she does. I mean, she fights battles as well, but she fights battles in a different sense because the movies that she does, like Jennifer's Body, they get kind of uh, misinterpreted, they get misadvertised, and then um, then they have to fight an uphill battle and things die off for a little while until she gets another chance. But at least she was getting other chances. And I'm not saying that there. The reason I mentioned those two is because they're mainly, you know, they feature Latin um, actresses. It's kind of telling a Latin story. Um, and they're similar time frames and similar budgets, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So, yeah. But, but yeah, it's it's weird that it's weird that um, Cordosa doesn't get another really kind of another film put in her lap. You know, like something like somebody like Kimberly Pierce or or mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Catherine Hardwick or you know these these people who directed kind of these small independent similar films that um, and, and you could argue that Hardwick and and um, there's a little bit more of a hard nose to those films they did, but but like thirteen and and, and um, right right. Um, I'm trying to think who did I, Kimberly Pierce. I mean, you've got Boys Don't Cry, and and so you've got a little bit more of a dramatic stint to them. But this again was a <clears throat> really well received film. 
you know, you can kind of compare it to, a, you know, a le- kind of a big, my big fat Greek wedding in a kind of a sense Which of. Which came out in the same year. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Of kind of a crowd pleaser. And um, it's really bizarre that there there wasn't kind of some more, more momentum behind yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, because of that, because you're able to make a, a, a <laughs> right. crowd pleasing movie right. about a, a Mexican family right, and about a quote unquote overweight girl. Right. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is surprising that someone didn't go, wow, you could do that here, right? Here's $20 million. Go make something else. <laughs> right. Here's 15. Go make something Right. Yeah. yeah. You've got, you clearly have to have other stories there somewhere. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's too bad. I'm, I'm glad that they're still working. And I, I, I do think this, I do think this is a, um, this is a film that's clearly not made for you and I, right? I mean, this is not. not sure. But I do think this would be an important film to show to young people and and just to have that kind of i do think the let again that did you have to show i don't know but i like, like, the, I like how from, you say it's not for us because we're not young right i mean that, that that's what i heard there it's yeah, not no, for us show it to the young people show it to the show young to people the youths, uh, let, them, let them know how to <laughs> they're our future we not so much i i believe that as well <laughs> um i thought the discussion was good last night oh, i mean last night when you hear this it'll be like two weeks later but um, I did think the, the discussion last night was really good. I thought that the crowd was really engaged and engaging um, yeah. doing that. So if you're listening and you were there, thank you. And um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's always good. It's always good to get new perspectives, and it's always good to, um, you know, like I said, so people bringing up their own their own experiences with their own uh, upbringings and, and oh, find, yeah. seeing themselves in the different characters. It's always fun. Um, okay, so that's Real Women Have Curves. So go check it out. America Ferrera also giving a similar speech in Barbie this year, <laughs> playing yes. a similar kind of role. But, I mean, that is a nice kind of parallel between the two. Yeah. So Yeah. Okay. Um, Cassavetes? Yeah. I know. I know. If, if you can hear the smattering of applause, it's because we are doing this live. <laughs> in front of a studio audience. Yes. Can we stop for a second? How the fuck was that ever a thing? How is that a thing that we ever did? <laughs> a like, live studio audience? Yeah. like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Did you go to any tapings? No, 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 of course not. I would have loved to have gone, but I. it seems like such a bizarre thing to do. Oh, absolutely. To, like, break down and to, like, also to kind of... I don't, I don't know, pull the curtain back on the wizard a little bit to kind of show you how these things... I, like I, to, to actively say, look, look at them behind the curtain. <laughs> right, right, and see how all this stuff is made. Um, it seems wildly dangerous to do it a lot of times. Uh, also, and it doesn't do anything outside of what adding a laugh track already does, right? So, like, for the most part, I don't think people would really know the difference, right? Because Friends... Not filmed in front of a live... St- well, maybe it was. I think it was, right? Um, okay, who gives a shit? <laughs> it was a terrible <laughs> show. Like, the more my yes. wife said, it just... I can't go back to it anymore. Like, I mean, it was one of those ones... I Like, it was... It's always on, like, TBS or whatever, so it was easy to, like, pop on. I remember liking it so much when it first... But I, I really, just because I was enamored with Jennifer Aniston and, sure. and, sure. and, and, and Courtney, Courtney Cox, Cox and Phoebe... Uh, who is named Lisa, Lisa Kudrow, Kudrow in her life? <laughs> um, but man, it's just, it's just not not no, good. No, it's terrible. Um, and 
like of the series that still hold up, which I think The Office holds up. I think that uh, Cheers definitely holds mm-hmm. up. I think Cheers is wildly progressive for mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for the 80s. Um, I think Taxi still holds up. I mean, there's a lot. that I, I think I Love Lucy. I still love watching I Love, love Lucy. Look, anything with Andy Kaufman holds up. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, <laughs> and Tony Clifton. I don't know what the fuck. We're, oh, live studio audiences. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I don't know what that would have gotten you. And I just I can't imagine why that was such a predominant thing for so long. I just remember, like, and obviously when Cheers was started, this this was this episode was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Like, as we were supposed to like expect someone to yell out something from the crowd or whatever, or you know, <laughs> fuck you, coach. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and you didn't, yeah, you didn't do it with dramas or like, I mean, it was just with comedies. And right, so just right. to get that laugh, which again, I don't think one of my point was watching Friends is that I don't think that you would really, and I would imagine anything that was written with the live studio audience that didn't get the laugh that they thought it should, got it supplemented it in, right? Yeah. I mean, so like, I don't believe that an audience sitting at home would know the difference between uh, you know, a live studio audience first laughter versus canned laughter right. out of the out of you know out of the box there. So and like say take something like Big Bang Theory, which I don't believe was filmed in front of a live studio audience. I don't know because there would be no laughs, <laughs> right? Because that show's fucking terrible, so bad. Um, also, how do those cats eat out every single night? <laughs> And they're not they're 300 pounds, no, man. Because they're, they have no, that they're nerd. eating like Cheesecake Factory stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, this is like not good food that they're eating. Right? And, so, and also they're sedentary. Right, yeah, they're definitely not active. They're, they're not, not exercising a lot. At all. Um, yeah, it's not, you're, it's not your typical nerds, right? I mean, it's... it's uh, <laughs> nerds with metab... I mean, look, not that, not right. that, not that nerds well, don't have metabolism. That's, I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe they had some sort of scientific way to like... <clears throat> Um, yeah, I mean, cocaine was made in a lab, right. so yes, sure. Yes, They were all doing heavy <laughs> amounts of cocaine. God. Um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrail it. No, us, but I would, but that, that came up the other day in my head, in all these conversations that I have in my head, of how that ever was a reality. <laughs> why and did like, we do that? Like, why was why that a thing? Why did we do that? that? Right. Well, and, 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 and even, like, the people on the outside of a glass window, like, looking in. So, like, the Today Show. And, like, we talked about Total Requ- Request Live. <laughs> right. right. Where, where <laughs> I just saw a, a, a clip from that where... Um, a woman like fan from the crowd threatened to like beat up Carson Daly because he was like making fun of I don't know if it was Britney Spears or somebody. He was just like, oh. she's like, I'll kill you. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> well deserved, not, for sure. Not kidding, right? <laughs> oh, no, 100 percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so Alas, sure. she didn't make it um, happen, which is what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> this is good podcasting right here. <laughs> Casavetis, killing of a Chinese bookie. It's all right, Vince. It'll pick up. Have a big night. This 
guy does the whole thing. So we got it. Choreographs it. He stages it. He does ah, the whole Don't exaggerate. I do the best I can. guy owes us money. He's gonna pay. His name is Ling. That is a bookie. Chinese bookie. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think I understand. Let's get so, into it. Let's let's jump into the killing of a Chinese bookie. Now, before I give you the brief rundown, it's very brief. Did you watch the 76 or 78 version? I watched both of them, but wait, you watched both of them for this podcast, or you've seen both of them? I watched both of them for the, I mean, I've seen both of them, but I've okay. watched both of them for this podcast as well. <clears throat> well, that's more than I did. <laughs> did you watch any of them? I guess it's Oh no, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna wing it. No, I'm just gonna hey, So like there's I've, I've never seen it, but I imagine there's a bookie. <laughs> right. There's this probably Chinese. There's this Chinese guy who likes books a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he he's a reader. He's a reader, man. I mean, it's, well the move the title cool you know, the cool title thing, right? is a misnomer. They don't, he's not actually a bookie. Right. They might actually kill a Chinese bookie and all the gunshots that went off, but this guy yeah. was not only a bookie, at least. Right. No, he was a big deal. He was a, yeah, a big guy. Anyway, so a proud strip club owner, Cosmo Vitelli, is forced to come to terms with himself as a man when his gambling addiction gets him in hot water with the mob who offer him only one alternative, to kill a Chinese bookie. <laughs> look, look, I... We're going to talk about opening night after this, but these two films, for me at least, seem to be kind of the most meta films of Cassavetti's career, right? I mean... Yeah, this is his Wes Craven scream. (laughs) This is him, like, pulling back the... (laughs) Right, I mean, it's very much... I mean, this one, it's a gangster film in name only, right? It's Cassavetti sort of using right. this as a, as a framing device. But it's so much about, like, how do you remain, how do you stay working as an artist? Because Cosmo thinks he's an artist, right? Ben Gazzara, as the owner of this strip club, thinks he's an artist. He's not just parading naked women on stage. He's choreographing these shows. He's writing these shows, right? This is, this is his art, Right? And these mobsters are the studio system, right? These mobsters <laughs> are the guys who come in and try to take away your art or try to commodify your art or try to only talk about money when all you want to do is make shit, right? Right, right. <laughs> I, I think the I, I it's just to kind of lay it out. Bookie does not really work for me um, no? on a whole. I think this is... I think this is Cassavetes' tired, like, this is his most tired film. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like he is, like, spent from a woman under the influence and trying to hawk mm-hmm. that forever. I, I do think that he wanted to get this film out because I think 
he wanted to go back into the studio system to help them distribute these films. Mm-hmm. And I think that really, even though it was highly profitable for him, I do think that it was very tiring for him to spend 18 months to two years essentially driving a woman under the influence to to, to each yeah, theater to, yeah. to show it. And so this was a movie like, I can't take three to four years to make another film. I've got to make this now so while I'm hot on the heels of a woman, a woman under the influence so that someone will take the distribution cost away from me because the distribution cost at this time were, was becoming so cost prohibitive that he could that he couldn't just he couldn't really afford it. It was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars to a million dollars to market and to print and, and to do in the in the U.S. So like this movie and we'll talk about it, I'm sure does nothing opening night does nothing oh, in the u.s it goes it's, but it's, it's huge gone in, in a europe week. right yeah it's gone in a week and so t- to me this while it is i do appreciate that aspect of it i feel like him trying to take a story and he talked to scorsese about this and was like he had been meeting with him on mean streets and helping scorsese mm-hmm. he was basically the one to say to tell scorsese make mean streets as long as you want to make mean streets don't cut it down to a 90 minute film and Scorsese was like, fine, all right, that sounds good. I'm glad someone told me to do that because now I can make Mean Streets the way that I want to make it. Um, I do, I, I, and I think, I think it shows in the fact that there is a 76 and a legit 78 version that we can see. That Cassavetes was like, okay, I'm going to do this. But I think he was disconnected from the material in a sense. And I also don't think that Cassavetes does stories well when he's the main focus of the story. Like where he is the primary hmm. piece like hmm. this, like if you go back to too late blues mm-hmm. and you go back to this, mm-hmm. these are clearly stories about Cassavetes telling stories about sure, Cassavetes, sure, right? Sure, sure. This is better than too late blues. Oh yeah. But I do think this meanders way too much. This is why I like it. So much. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, look, I, I one and I, it, it is, it does set itself up, set itself up for failure to begin with a bit. And, and, because you're thinking, okay, this is a, you hear the synopsis. This is a you know a strip yeah. club owner who yeah. gets involved with gangsters and got to kill a guy to pay off a debt. Yeah, okay, that's two hours and thirty minutes later, motherfucker. Right? <laughs> like, and you've you've gone through a lot of shit that did have nothing to do with that. Um, but this is how the world works. No, no, no. And this is yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I get say, that. But like, yeah, this is this is what I something that I really like about Cassavetes is how much he seems interested in how other people work. And how how other people work within the world as he sees it, the real world as he sees it. So as he's examining how these people work, he's at the same time examining how he works, right? So it's understanding these other people in the world to sort of, in a way, understand himself and also give us, the viewer, a different way to understand ourselves in this. I mean, I think a lot of times we can look at movies and detach them from the from reality. I don't think you can do that with a Cassavetes film. I think that you're always there and he's always saying, this is why this matters to this. This right. is why this matters out there. Right. So that's why I like the meandering because yeah, there's all this stuff going on that has nothing to do with other things, but that's, that's how my fucking day goes so many <laughs> times, man. I mean, <laughs> I do think, well, this movie kicks into gear when he gets to the, when he gets to the card game. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, look, I think, I think it's fun when, and so we're talking about the, we're going to be talking about the 70, we can touch on the 78 version. We're going to be talking about the 76 76, version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the two hour and 14 minute version rather than the 148 minute version. Um, and so 
and, and, and so you open up and he's basically paying off another bookie. He's paying um, off a loan shark. He's paying off a yeah. loan shark, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he uh, he's doing a show at the club, right? Yeah. And and Can we, um, wait, I'm, oh, I'm gonna stop for a second because um, I think how he talks to the loan shark completely establishes this guy's character, right? And well, who Cosmo thinks he is and who we understand him to be, because he walks in with this stack of cash to pay this loan shark to pay off his debt, and he's already got this swagger, right? This braggadocio, and we're like. Oh, this guy doesn't get himself at all. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, here's what you don't do. You don't talk shit to the guy you just borrowed a ton of money from, even if you're paying the loan back. And he even says to this guy, like, Marty, I'll never, I never want to see you again. <laughs> right. And Marty's right. like, hey, if, if you need me, you know where to find me. Right. <laughs> right. And it's kind of like a, you're going a little too far. Dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, okay. It's like, okay. Like, I'll, I'll let you talk yeah. to me this way. But, I, but, but you know what? I'll probably see you soon. Right? <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I, I love this, this opening in that we see immediately that this guy is just in over his head all the time. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and with everything, right? Everything. And then so when a gangster comes to his club and like professes how much he loves it um, and how, you know, and this is Seymour Cassell uh, coming up with all of these girls and all these people coming into the strip club talking about uh, Mr. Satisfaction and, and um, sophistication. sophistication. So what was the other name that she mistakenly gave him? It was, there was when she was oh, talking forget, about it, yeah. Yeah, that's the reason I said satisfaction <laughs> was really fucked it up. But yeah, Mr. Sophistication starts talking because Cassell's looking for Mr. Sophistication when at the beginning of it anyway. Mm -hmm. So they all go in and they talk about this other club that Cassell's got and come over to it and <laughs> ships ahoy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> card club. Yeah. And so uh, Gazara goes to the card club and gets himself, you know, and he, and he, he makes this whole show of it, right? Because Cassell came in with a whole entourage, um, he, he goes off and gets all of his girls and he gets, he gets them all corsages. And of course he's got his girlfriend, but he's got all of the, um, he goes to each of the girl's house and picks them up in a limo. And, and, and so all these girls come dressed to the nine for this guard game and they all sit around. He's like. He's yeah, very. They're just bored. The entire right. They're time. bored. They're bored. They're drinking. They're smoking. But he's pissed off because they don't have chairs for them. So he makes a big to do about them getting chairs at this table, and uh, he goes through and, and 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 you don't really. I mean, in typical Casavetta's fashion, you don't see any of the, any of the card game. Right. You hardly see anything happen in this movie whatsoever. Like you even see aftermath. Right. None of the action actually gets shown on screen. Um, which is to his credit, it's really a cool aspect of this mm -hmm. movie. Um, but he um. <laughs> so he's 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 up against it in, in a hand and he he's 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 pot deficient and he wants to write a check he wants another line of credit he says he'll back up his credit with in with his check with credit cards he's got a gold card and so after all this happens of course he loses right and he's going up to make do with his debt and like there's a whole like is I, so i'm getting this confused a little bit is is there a, a progression of people in the 76 version that go through the credit aspect? Well, they're all like in the same room. Right, but they specifically, in the 78 version, they yeah. specifically spend time with this woman that um, who is, she's trying to hawk a, a watch or some sort of piece of jewelry. Yeah, oh, right, think, right, right, no, they, they come in. So there's like other people trying to settle debts, mm -hmm. gambling debts, yeah. Um, but I don't remember. I think there's only like a couple. So they, right? they expand that sequence okay. in the 78 version. Okay. okay. And kind of like set, it's because it's to set up tension 
in the sense of because in the seventy eight version, and I, I apologize for bouncing back. There's no way. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the seventy eight version, you don't meet Cassell. Like he goes, the Cassell is the. You don't meet Cassell outside of the club. Right. Um. You, we meet, and like in a lot of the sequence of um the paying off the initial loan shark is cut down too. Like yeah. you just pay. Yep. They go in. The club needs to be picked. You know, it'll pick up because it's on a Sunday night. Right. That's um, where it starts. And yeah. Right. And so the Cassell action of coming to the club and, and kind of boosting the ego. So it really then, when you go around and pick up all the girls, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why he's doing that. Right. We cut to the club, but the, and when, and so we cut to the card games. So the card game is pretty quick and, and all of this happens. But what's great about it <laughs> is when Gazara's got to make up his, or when Cosmo's got to make up his uh, his debt, you know, and they look at the gas, look at, look at the credit card, the gold card, and it's a gas card. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about the mob in this movie is they make him sign actual forms. They've got like two forms in like triplicate that he's got to sign to like sign over his. They have actual like debt. legal documents. It's not <laughs> right. just like in a notebook. And they like, apologize hey, for it too. They're like, oh, sorry, I don't want to be so formal. I hate to be formal we need you to sign something saying you're going to pay you twenty three thousand dollars <laughs> but that makes them even more sinister i think i mean <laughs> right. what i love about cassell in this role is that when you first meet him he is you first meet him and he's just like oh hey you own this joint don't you oh man you're great this place is the best he looks at the girls he's like hey, this guy owns it. this is awesome he's like kind of goofy and you know he's you can tell he thinks he's kind of a big shot and Cosmo's impressed, but he still comes off as just is sort of like a mix of Chet from Faces and and Moskowitz, right? Right. Kind of big and kind of but then we meet him again and he is so cool. Right. And sort of calculating. And I I mean Well, you have to figure right that he was setting him up exactly, from the jump, exactly. right? I mean, so we find yeah. out eventually that 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 uh, Cosmo has been set up that that they wanted his club all along, mm-hmm. and they they have him go kill this Chinese bookie. What they tell him as a Chinese bookie to pay off his debt because they basically send him in a massacre. They send him alone to this you know to this Chinese mafia safe house basically, and, like and enclave, right? Yeah. And like there's tons of guys there, um, and they so they expected him to get killed. They set him up with a terrible trap car that 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 breaks down <laughs> on the highway, on the right? Highway. <laughs> so they come because to his club, of they, it does. right? They yeah. come to his club and they're like, you know what? They, they proposition him at first and say, "Hey, we're going to let you pay off your debt." So, so you obviously you know at this point it's all been a he's a patsy. This has all been mm-hmm, set up, mm-hmm. um, or you at least get the impression that they do this all the time for people that people get in hock with them and they make them go do things for them. Um. And then he says, okay, I'll do it. He goes back to his club and he's like, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. So they bring him outside and uh, Carrie's there. And it's, uh, this is the one thing that I, when I'm watching this movie, I lament that he, that Cassavetes didn't meet him earlier. didn't use him more. He's like, as good as he was in Minnie and Moskowitz, he's so fucking delicious in this movie. He's so good. He's so like, like ridiculously large and goofy looking and like just gangly, but so dangerous looking. He's so uh, amazing he, in this movie. He's like a walking contradiction, <laughs> isn't he? Well, and like when he's dressed, he's dressed in a blue blazer and a plaid blue shirt and like this god awful like multi patterns tie. <laughs> <laughs> 
and they beat the shit out of yeah. um, Cosmo because yeah. they're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, come on outside. We're going to talk to you outside. Yeah. Basically, you don't. Oh, you don't want to pay your debt? That's fine. Just come outside. You're going to talk to us. And like all the gangsters are there, and they, they rough them up, and they immediately throw them in the car and say, hey, you're going to do this, and you're going to do it right now. And here, here's a map. Here's what you do. It's all written down. It's okay. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Cosmo, just look at the map. It's all there for you. Right. It's just. It's just in the book. Follow the directions. Follow the directions. I, I love that. But I love that aspect of the uh, just how like. No, no, this is just, look, you've got a list of instructions. Right. Just, just do Here's that. a recipe. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and then, of course, it all just goes to shit. But. Right. So they give him a gun. They give him a car. The car breaks down because they've hot-wired a car. And they use like, don't let the car die or stall because there's no keys. Right. It's all wires. It's running on wires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it breaks down in the middle of the highway. He almost gets killed. He runs to a payphone to call a taxi so he can and so he can get over to the to the hit. But in between that, he calls his he club calls to make bar. sure that the, make sure that the Paris Act is going off okay. <laughs> and this is what I what I love is that he. This is how invested he is. Right again, like this is his entire reason for being. Right, and he's talking to the bartender, and he's like, "What number's on?" He's like, "What do you What do you mean you don't know the number? You've been there for eight years. Right? How do you not know? You <laughs> right. watch this every night. How do you not know the numbers?" But but again, this this how much he is invested and in how little everyone else seems to be kind of around him. Right, right. right. Except for Mister Sophisticated, <laughs> right? Who's really yeah, he's pot committed for sure. People too. come to see me. Yes. what he says later. Right. Uh, so he goes and he kills a few people. He kills the actual, um, who he thinks is the Chinese bookie. He's getting a bath and with a young girl and the most amazing naked boob telephone, telephone that ever has existed in, is in one of the scenes. Um, and he kills and he, and he runs, but he realizes as he's running off, he goes back to his girlfriend's house. He realizes he's been shot as mm-hmm. well. And uh, then the rest of the film is him... You know, like bleeding out, just basically bleeding out. <laughs> the 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 um, flow comes over and it flows. Uh, flows carry, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and basically says he, he's supposed to be there to take out Cosmo, but he's like he's, he's taking a liking to Cosmo at this point. So he just says, "Hey, my friends in there, you deal with this." So um, Mort's like talking to him and basically saying, "Look, um, yeah, you could shoot me if you want." Oh. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so basically Garza, um, gets away from Mort, um, that you think he might've shot him. You're not really sure. Never yeah. really after happens on screen. Um, you hear a car door slam and then, um, Cosmo goes back to the club. Uh, the show is not going on at the time. So like when he's not there, the club is completely in disarray. Um, there's, a, the, la- there's a labor dispute. Right. The, the crowd is, the, the crowd is pissed. The, the girls are pissed. He comes and gives them a heartwarming uh, win-win for the Gipper kind of Let's speech, go team. <laughs> right? And they all go out there and have a great time. And uh, he goes outside and um, realizes he's still bleeding. He's bleeding through his coat jacket. And then the camera pans back into the club, and the show must the go show on. Is going so. on. And, and <laughs> I, I, I love. I really do like how. Look, something else that I love about Cassavetes is how there is never really an ending to his films. There isn't this. You know, definitive conclusion to the movies. Nothing gets sort of resolved, really. Nothing gets tied up. It's right. not. It's not a nice, pretty kind of America Ferrera walking in Times Square, right? As a, as a right. newly discovered kind of you know subject and agent. It's just even in like a woman under the influence, they go back to sort of making up the bedroom, and we're like, 
this is all going to happen again, <laughs> isn't it? It's just going to keep going. But I think this is one reason that like Cassavetes does so well in Europe. I mean, this feels much more right. like that kind of a film, like a film by a European director who are who are much more willing to let the ending just kind of sit there. Right, and, right. You know, I do, I do appreciate the aspect of, you know, if you take Cosmo as Cassavetes, this is, um, you know, him mortgaging his house mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. and always going back the club being his films mm -hmm. and mortgage and, and him always taking these risks of, of having to pay back somebody, pay back the bank, do whatever he can to make sure his art gets made. Yeah. Um, and this kind of brashness around it all of him, this bravado of, of that he has to carry that allows him to still see himself as an artist. Because at the end of the day, Cassavetes was a middle-class guy. I mean, like it was, right. I mean, like, you, you know, we like to think of all of these auteurs and, and these directors and actors and actresses as rich kind of above it all kind of like artists. But this was just a guy who, <laughs> you know, had a Long Island home that like, yeah. that had kids at home and, you know, and, and that acted to do, to do his passion. Which you know makes that story the more beautiful of like him like always struggling, and um, you know always kind of fighting against it to to get yeah. things done, and and was talented enough and 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 lucky enough and in, in a lot of different ways to to make it happen. But yeah, this this wasn't a guy who yeah he made his his movie made his movies made millions, but he still had to pay that out to everyone else. He still had to pay back a bank. You know he would take out five hundred thousand dollar mortgages against his house to be able to pay off. Right. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> to, to, or, to make these know, films or, happen. Or he's getting money from Falk, who he then has to sort of pay back as an investor anyway. Right. Right. I mean, so, yeah. And I think that um, there was the Gazzara told a story where they were in the in the limos in, in, in the limousine scene where he's got all the all the women and stuff. And he's he's going, you know, to pick them all up at their door. And Cassavetes is running the camera. He's running the, the handheld camera. And so he's he's filming the scene, and after the scene, Cassavetes takes the camera the camera down, and he's crying, right? Because I was like, up until that point, I couldn't get into this role. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't. I was having no fun doing it until right. I saw that, and I understood that this was, you know, John making a movie about about him. And he was like, and then I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. The difference, I think, between Cosmo and Cassavetti is, is Cosmo is an idiot. Well, I think I Cosmo, mean, I think Cosmo is self-destructive, yeah, right? Yeah. I think this is a type of guy who, regardless of what level of success he was able to gather, right, he would con consistently and constantly try to undermine himself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He doesn't go off from paying one loan shark to going directly into Hawk with another without being a guy who's who's always kind of chasing that high mm -hmm. um, and that nothing is ever really good enough. And also he's self-loathing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is a guy who, who uh, you know, it kind of exists in this world because he feels like he's a piece of shit and kind of likes being that piece of shit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you kind of get that Cassavetes did in a way too, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I think these guys reveled in this, this idea of, um, you know, like this blue collar middle class, uh, you know, workman like even but still trying to be artists, kind of, I don't know, lifestyle that they've kind of painted for themselves. But also he was a guy who liked to instigate and liked to pick fights. Right. Yeah. Get into shit with see the people what, in bars. See what right. Do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know that 
for a restaurant scene late in that when they're in the restaurant later mm-hmm. in the film that Cassavetes had brought in a bunch of studio heads to oh. sit as extras. No. <laughs> so he invited all of these like, you know, studio execs come in and be an extra in my film, like sit in this restaurant scene. And then he cut it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> right. He removed all their faces from the final cut. <laughs> so he was Cosmo, right? He's go, but he's so he's so delicious in himself and how he just will like put a finger in somebody's eye. Right. Just be like, what? <laughs> but it is interesting because these two <clears throat> films, like, I mean, like, the, they do nothing. I mean, like, it, you might as well have not made them. Like, and just right. so much to the point that no one even fucking saw them until there starts to do career retrospectives after his death. Right. Like, he recuts this in 78, two years later, to make it more palatable for theaters. I can't even imagine why he did that. Hmm. I mean, like, because at a certain point, you have to realize that no one's going to give a shit. Yeah. And like, it's not, you didn't, it's, you're like, okay, so you're 78. So you're past, you know, the God, you're past these gangster stories that have been told that, I mean, hell, you're past taxi driver at this point. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, so it's, I I don't know, that genre is well-worn and you have nothing to, Look, I know that he's a different type of filmmaker, and I'm not saying this story's not worth telling. But but it's to compete or to go back in, or to get money out of a out of a um, environment that existed for those hyper violent um, stories. With you know, and again, his this movie has nudity, but it's not ever really like the you know, it's not really the focus of it all. It's kind of like an afterthought because you're actually just in a strip club, right? I mean, it's I think how he films women in this specifically these strippers that are that um are is really interesting because it's never glaring it's never focusing like there's one sequence that's really really good but when he goes to the um the health food restaurant and the, the, his favorite waitress is there and she's in and they have the di- that the whole thing about you know i could dance for you and oh, he's like yeah when can i audition for he's you? like yeah you don't want to do that yeah. and then she's like well okay and so he brings her in and she's doing this ballet but when and she's like no when she's putting on the robe, the way that the camera pans down from her face and like the top of her breasts, and then you don't get like what would normally be the shot of, you know, uh, the full Let's frontal stare. nudity, right? You don't get that. Right. It goes down and it's and an interesting kind of like stare at her undergarments, but they're kind of like a frilly kind of fluffy. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, I don't know, it's not, gr- it's not gross in a way. It's kind of artistic. I, don't know, I thought that scene was really, really beautiful. But I think that is sort of the point. Because, right, of course. Because, and, and I mean like, especially for Cosmo, right? So for Cosmo, the nudity is not the point of these acts. <laughs> right. right? It, it's, it's, it's the choreography, it's the dance, it's the story, but the customers only care oh. about the boobs, right? <laughs> right? But this, but I think that is a a really kind of intentional aspect on on Cassavetti's part of this is how we're going to show this in the way that sort of Cosmo would see it, and especially the 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 sequence in the later latter part of the film where um, the, the, there's a stripper there that has a mask over her face mm-hmm. and it's like a really mm-hmm. grotesque, mm-hmm. like kind of like mm-hmm. almost like a leather face type mask mm-hmm. and she's dancing. I was just like, that's really, really cool looking and kind of weird and scary in a way. It's just <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of that is a lot of the stuff in the bar is the, the whole, the whole stripper act is, is ridiculous. It's, I mean, the whole Paris sequence is just dumb. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun, but, but, but it's, again, but again, like, like every single stripper has a different costume. Like he's got fake bicycles. None and like of it's, it is like, Oh, but, but that's the, <laughs> and notice like Cosmos always like, 
I write the shows. I produce the shows. I direct the shows. Right? You've got any complaints? My club. You got any complaints? Come see me. I'll throw you out on your ass. Right? I mean, but it's it's very much like you know him poking fun at himself, but also sort of recognizing what it takes and the kind of suspension of disbelief that it takes to keep doing this stuff and to keep wanting to go on. Yeah, and the 78 version is a crisper version. Right. Right, you... Which is you, why I don't like it. No, <laughs> well, I'm kidding, it's, I'm it's, kidding. It's, it's not... It's... It does cut out... I do... I think there's a version that exists between the two that probably is mm-hmm. the perfect mm-hmm. mix. This There's a there's a baby bear version of this that's just right. <laughs> um, because... Wait, you mean from Sesame Street or Goldilocks? <laughs> from Goldilocks, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I thought you were like with the delayed R. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Two grown men have talked about Sesame Street and Veronica Mars today. <laughs> but in the 78 version, it almost cuts out too much to get to. Like, you're killing the bookie right at the hour mark. Um, and then, I mean, and then it's the whole, like, he does shore up where this, where I, where I think the 76 version gets a little too indulgent is the chase sequence. Mm-hmm. Is And I think that's kind of where it loses. I mean, look, if it doesn't grab you in the first 20, it ain't going to grab you in the next. Right, <laughs> it's like, so if right. you don't like it in the first 20, you're probably best off just to turn it off and go do something else with your day. Um, but once you get to the chase sequence, after he, like, um, loses Mort and the other, I forget the other the um, character's name who's What's chasing him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, that part don't matter. I, it I mean, doesn't like, matter, right? Yeah. That part gets a little long in the tooth to you because, again— really doesn't matter and nothing ever comes of it and like it that just seems like Cassavetes kind of losing interest in a sense yeah, right yeah. until he gets back to the until he finds himself again and it's this you know this realization that Cosmo has of like look I'm only happy when shit's going bad or and when and, I'm pretending to be someone else right yeah and so, I, you know, I don't even know who I am, but let's go out and put a great show yeah. on kind of thing. Let's find where we're happy and let's go find out and put it on a right. great show. Right. Um, I mean, this is where I start to think about Cassavetes examining, you know, identity in the self and how the self is just a bluff all the time. Right. And we're always just trying to figure out who the fuck we are at any given moment. And we're just going to mess it up anyway. So, right. Yeah. Right. I do find it interesting that this film was so like just ignored and like yeah. i mean like and i you know and again we talked about how a woman under the influence played for 18 months at theaters mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were just shopping it around this did not play for more than two weeks or maybe no no one. no it was it was gone in seven in seven yeah. days and yeah. so like you in can't fact, did you hear this i'm sorry no no, no, no you're fine but, but so people were in the theater they were upset. They <laughs> yes. were coming out of the theater yelling at people in line to not go see the movie. <laughs> Which seems... Don't go see that! <laughs> like, I, I, and I get it. In this day, and it's hard to, like, uh, put your mind back in an era where, well, I can't... Oh, I saw that movie. I can just turn it on again and watch it whenever mm-hmm, I want. Mm-hmm. Or I've got a, you know, I've got a copy of this at home. I can just watch it whenever I want. To put your mind back in an era, so of oh yeah, I remember seeing Casavetes four years ago and Woman Under the Influence, and now I'm gonna go see something different. Mm-hmm. And again, I would imagine that I'm not sure how big of a name Casavetes really was outside of art house circles or like cinephile circles in the '70s. This is not someone you're gonna go and oh, the new Casavetes is out and. 
you know, Ma and Pa Kettle are going to be yeah. like, let's let's load up the truck and get Hell Grandma yeah. on the way. <laughs> We're going down to see Is a killing of a Chinese about bookie. like the Irish hitman? <laughs> <laughs> but, so wait, wait, so, I, I, I say that, but I also I also think that there's a, a point there because Cassavetes often gets kind of lumped in or a lot of times in a list of like new Hollywood people. And I don't think he was. No, I think he no, was not at all. He's right? not. He is not Spielberg. He's not Lucas. No, he's not Coppola. No, he's not Chimino. He's not those right. guys. I mean, he was doing stuff around the he's same time. He's not even Ashby. But, like, I mean, it's not like. Right. But, I mean, he's doing something completely different in a different way. I mean, these guys are still working. I think Manola Dargis in an, in an article for the L.A. Times was basically like, look, this is just the same thing with, like, rebel clothes on. That's it, right? It's the same business as usual, but right. now we kind of put a different, like, name to it. Right, so, right. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, this this idea of new Hollywood is really the idea of we found a different way to make a lot more money than we had before. Right. 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 This is not, this is not some, these are not, like, like you said, these are not rebels that are ushering in a new era. We've just stumbled upon a new storytelling, you know, money making uh, right, picture. right. Yeah. We've stumbled on a, a somewhat of a formula to allow these types of filmmakers to go out and make bigger, bigger budget films that are yeah. kind of spectacle films that we had made in the forties and, you know, in the thirties and forties. And now we've kind of found our way back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I'm willing to admit that I'm probably lionizing Cassavetes a little bit, sure, right? Sure. In that, in that I am sort of painting him in my own critical way as a consummate artist rather than how do I make money with this picture? It's more about how do I make the picture I want to make? And if we make money, cool. But if not, I'll figure something else out. I mean, it is a better story, right? I mean, yes. like, it, yes. look, it, you, you, <clears throat> if we go according to the capturing the Freedman story of a young boy trying to keep his parents together, so he made films, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, he <laughs> fell in love with cereal, so he made films, and his mom was insane, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this is a better, this is a Van Gogh story. This is a guy who's struggling, who is- drives himself mad. Right, right. And this is the story that we- should be championing, you know, and rather right. than and in addition to it's fine. I don't mind it. But I mean, but this is a guy. Yeah, it does feel like this is a guy who's recognized, I think, in his time. But I mean, more so after his death, you know, I asked you the question and this may be premature to no, talk about say, on I the podcast. Kind of, but like yeah. is was Cassavetes um, inevitable? Mm -hmm. Was was this type of filmmaker going to come along no matter what see and i th i think so i mean so because he wasn't new hollywood and he wasn't you know he was actively kind of bucking against the 50s kind of system right right and so he to me seems like a bridge between the two right and i think to be that bridge you have to be sort of iconoclastic and be willing to sort of burn everything down and not care right i mean this is a guy that went to the inside the into the actor studio and basically took the piss right right it was just right. like i don't i don't fucking care right i'm gonna go do my own thing and what are you gonna do about it right. i do think that <clears throat> it's rare i do think that it's, oh, that it's yeah. uh, you know that this is a guy who was prolific it was a prolific writer um who basically never stopped and never got past the itch i mean he basically worked himself into his grave um and so to that end, I mean, I, I, I think it's impressive and that it, that it actually happened. But yeah, I agree with you. I think 
had it not have been him, I do think that there would have been there some, would have there would have been somebody who fight. I mean, like, and maybe, you know, again, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been May, but there was somebody like, you know, Nichols or like somebody, you know, along those lines that were in a different, um, and I, one of the reason I say it wasn't May was because she had so much heart. I mean, like she could have been Cassavetes with a better yeah. financial backing and not, um, you know, and just having the ability to, to finance these things herself. But yeah. again, also then, but you take those two as a kind of parallel, um, you know, it, it, allow, it's, it would have been easy for Cassavetes to get beat up by this system and and to stop after, you know, any one of these films. Or, or it would have been easy for him to have just capitulated into the system. Oh, right. you want me to make like 12 more Too Late Blues? Cool. All right, I'll do that. Right. right? And, and, and it'll be a little personal touch in there, but really it would just be a solid, right, right. <laughs> um, Competent film, right? And I think what helped Cassavetes and what pushed him over the edge was his acting ability. Mm -hmm. His mm -hmm. his everyman look and feel, like his slight build, his ability to fit into costumes, and his 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 you know the ability for him to have that rough, haggard face, but like still be ridiculously handsome and yeah. then piercing and um and I mean he's just straight up a good actor, mm -hmm. but able to fill those roles and pull in a hundred thousand dollars here, a hundred thousand dollars there, whatever, and to fit into to be nondescript enough but also to be bankable enough. Mm -hmm. I think that really worked in his favor. Mm -hmm. um, that allowed him, you know, of course, to, to, fuel, to fuel the rest of it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's an interesting <clears throat> topic. But I, uh, I also think the difference, like, between him and New Hollywood is that his kind of, his being labeled, or him being independent, being labeled kind of alternative, even kind of a, you know, um, Blaze on phone and terrible or whatever, right? right? Um, I said that wrong. That's all right. <laughs> no, Our listeners won't know. They, they, won't, they won't care. Um, Sorry, you dummies out yeah. there. Just. <laughs> but I think being labeled these things worked against him in the right ways, right? So they worked against him in the studio system where, you know, with the new Hollywood, the sort of rebel thing, they, they use that as a marketing ploy. And this is why, like I said to you off mic, that there's no more Cassavetes, right? There can't be, there can't be this kind of, I'm alternative. I'm, I'm independent because now these are, <laughs> these are labels that we put on people to sell things, right? Well, do you know where you can watch the best programs that are sort of like anti-capitalist, anti-Amazon prime programs on Amazon prime? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. I'm a Virgo. Right. I mean, it's yeah. Right. I mean like, so, okay, you climb in the system and you're like, I'm going to make this thing. That's like, anti this and then those corporations are like cool we got gotcha. you right like, because <clears throat> they know it's going to pull viewers it, otherwise you're just crispin glover on this on a street corner playing your weird <laughs> avant-garde shit that right that, yeah right that nothing so so there i mean as much as i love a24 neon right they're these, still right exactly they're not yeah. faces productions right? right i mean this is right yeah. i mean these are quote-unquote indie studios who are still rolling in how much cash and right and, and i think you know you can put things <clears throat> together i think the barrier to entry is is lower but again the, the the having the talent and having the storytelling capabilities is 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 much much less i mean obviously you know uh not why i say that i mean it's not what i mean to say i just think that um Cassavetes being able to focus and having whatever talent he has. I mean, I think, I do think that you, I mean, you're right. I mean, like the idea that if anybody had any sort of modicum of success is going to immediately get snatched up and, and pulled into this, into this system that's just going to either chew them up yeah. or, or allow them to do 
what they want to do and but still take you know till skim off the top i think the closest you came to was like something like kevin smith doing red state and trying to like sure, kind of take those sure. movies back um but even then cassavetes never worked in the studio system at all i mean like so it, that would be more of a sense of well i've made some movies and i, and I have a little bit of money that but that was still financed by Miramax. It's mm -hmm, still money mm -hmm. that's being poured in, and it's just a matter of like, well, we're gonna we'll test this out and see what happens to it. So, yeah, an artist, you know, uh, constantly <laughs> mortgaging their house and like putting yeah. everything everything that they have up against the next thing. Yeah, yeah no, you're never yeah. gonna see that. But again. It, I mean, again, I think this. And we, we've talked about this on past podcasts, but I think this is very much Cassavetti's finding a way to eschew this idea of commodification of art. And I, and I know he's working before we kind of really start talking about these ideas and how we're using art to sell everything else. But he's just like, I'm not going to let that happen, whether by, you know, happenstance or by, you know, intent. Right. It's still like, yeah. And and the things that you saw, like, come after this, and I guess really kind of parallel to this, like, where you get George Harrison funding, you know, yeah, Holy Grail did, yeah. or like, or these, you know, these, these films that are, that are smaller that, um, uh, you know, you're, you you get someone like Hopper coming up, and like they're allowing him to make Easy Rider because mm -hmm. they see this. Mm -hmm. We're coming out of the Hayes Code, and we see this ability to like tell these, you know, countercultural stories by still um, yeah. capitalizing on them. Well, right, but I mean, that right. system ends up eating. I mean, like one Hopper is uh, you know, self destructive and 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 excuse me, in the worst way, right? And then spends an entire decade not remembering what happened to him because he was, you know, his success led to, um, ridiculous copious amounts of drug use. Yeah. So yeah. especially on, you know, apocalypse now, <laughs> you just right, see right. him like, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I mean, a, a, a term like counterculture being used to, to sell things, to sell, right. Make yeah. Profit, make profit of things. So, um, yeah, good times. Want to move on to opening night? I do. Okay. I do indeed. Um, thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. May I, may I really apologize for this long wait and uh, thank you for your patience. We've had a, uh, a small disturbance in our problem backstage, and the curtain will go up in a minute. Thank you. Was she sober? I don't know. I don't think so. Did you tell her we had search parties out for her, the police, everybody? I mean, we all know you changed all the lines tonight. Uh, doesn't that tell you something? I mean, don't you say to yourself, Myrtle, maybe I'm not so smart. Maybe Sarah's play has something to say. You want to be young again, is that it? Oh, Marty. Oh! I seem to have lost the, uh, the reality of, of, of the, uh, reality. How old are you, Myrtle? With my wife, Lena. This is Virginia. Say hello to Virginia. Shake hands. Come on. My son, Vito. You haven't met my son, Vito. God damn it, no! You haven't met my son, Vito. What's going on? Is it the girl that was killed? What girl? No. Have you, uh, have you seen her since she died? Okay, I, I have seen her, but not like you think. I mean, I made her up, but she's mine, she's my fantasy. Was she on the stage with you again tonight? 
What are you doing? Don't worry, Sarah. I'm doing this to myself. Don't you want to touch me? No. Is she dead? is 1977 just a year or two after um bookie uh a renowned actress played by gina rallins teeters on the edge of a breakdown as she counts down the days toward a big broadway opening this is i have to say this is a perplexing film (laughs) and 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 this is where i i like it i i love it but it takes it always takes me i've seen it a few times right but but it takes me a minute always to kind of settle in to its tone and its rhythm, right? Once right. I do, I'm okay, but it always takes me a little bit to kind of like, I don't know, just This is like Cassavetes' Suspiria, or this is like right, its closest right. like Italian no, gallo film. This is, yeah, because the vibe of this is like an artsy horror film, right? right? And it's such a kind of existential horror, right? I mean, the, the horrors of being alone, the horrors of aging, right? the horrors of ghosts of the past in a way but yeah it's very much like that kind of this to me see i, I this one <clears throat> gets back to like to me where where there's a slight dip with bookie this gets back to women of the influence range for be, me so because of rowlands being kind of at the center or or i, mean, I think like, it's a more personal not, story i think yeah. yeah i think so i think so i think yeah. this is a story that i think he's more comfortable telling um and i think it's a i think it's more open for exploration whereas bookie is like i'm gonna lay myself bare and this is what i am mm. and these are the demons that i have i do think that that this was his one, vietnam <laughs> right i do think that this one 
is much more interesting. And it's much more interesting the more and more you watch it. This pulls you in. And again, this kind of goes back where there's that there's never a meandering section in this movie. Right. It is right. a it, it, it is a harrowing experience from A to B, just like Woman Under the Influence mm-hmm. was. Um, and I think Rowlands, I think this is. I, I mean, even as good as she was, she was so good in women. This, this is this, this parallels that role in really kind of. I mean, I think she's just as good in this as she is in women. Well, and I think she shows more range in this. Yeah, right? I agreed. Yeah, because yeah. like in 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 Woman Under the Influence, she's meant to be. Pardon my language, right? But she's meant to be crazy. She's right. meant to be a little over the top. In this, she's got to go back and forth from being sort of like a, a nutsy drunk to. You know, a woman really kind of looking introspectively and sort of trying to figure some things out. And I think I think she's so good in this. What and I'm, then she has to act in the play that's part of the play. <laughs> right. There's yeah, and, and like and get in picking out the meta pieces of it. I mean, obviously, this one does it uh, to 11. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's so much to unpack with this movie. But like one of the things that stood out to me while I'm watching and this is that you never get a sense that you're off stage. Like okay. when she's in her apartment, it looks like the mm-hmm. like. I mean, so they're they're you know it looks like they're living and and breathing in the in the building in which the play is set. Like when she goes to her apartment, it looks like the set stage and like it's all open and like nothing well, it's is the penthouse, right? I mean, right? So yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's this woman who has defined herself by this level of beauty, this level of sexuality, this level of. Uh, you know, youth. fame and youth, right? And and she is now now she has to. She doesn't believe this in herself. God damn, this movie's so fucking good. Like she doesn't believe this in herself that yeah. that she's aging, or and, and or maybe she does. Maybe she can feel it. Well, she can't accept it, right. right? And so the play that she's been given, her next big break, her next big Broadway show, is an aging woman. And she's coupled with this ghost of her past, this woman who is this 18-year-old fan of hers, which is her, right? I mean, this is who's— Well, I think, I think it's both literal and metaphorical, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so this fan who unexpectedly dies, which is one of the great Cassavetes scenes, like when she steps out in front of traffic and it's through the scene through the back window. It's and It's so good. Yeah. It's really, really—that's why it's like—it's almost—like it is. It's like Italian horror-esque, yeah. really. I mean, it's like this is types of films that— uh, you don't normally see, uh, like, well, I mean, like in in his scenes that you don't normally see in his films, but you know, she starts to haunt uh, and really kind of become this, you know, uh, an embodiment of a younger version of of uh, um, Rowland's character. And I don't know that, that that whole aspect of it and her and her like, you know, essentially at the you know at one point you know beating <laughs> that ghost and like mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. causing and basically trying to kill it and then and then her coming up and being bloodied herself and beating herself, I don't know that that whole aspect of it of Rowland's really kind of coming and struggling with just not only that but then her like her sexuality with every male character in this movie like the old producer. The director, the director, you know, Cassavetes, you know, yeah, Maurice Cassavetes. is, you know, her old, her old, her old lover and her co-star at this point. What a brutal line he <laughs> delivers to her. Yeah, You're no longer a woman for me. <laughs> You're a professional. Yeah. The dialogue in this is, and you oh, never really man. know where the dialogue of the play begins and ends because they, because they break characters so often in the play that's being shown in the movie. And it's so good. Oh, it's, it's a so, nesting doll of a and, movie. 
I can't imagine those two like playing off of each. They had to have loved those scenes mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. Like just this, just mm-hmm. to being able to like kind of just <laughs> one up each other in, in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I love that. He's not really going to hit you. I'm just going to hit you with the fingers. And then <laughs> the whole like, they're like chasing each other. Oh, it's so good. But I think this kind of gives a window into their relationship too. I mean, this is another level of like the meta-ness there is, right. is how much of that is like the two of them. Right, sort of showing a little bit of like who they were off stage as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. I think so too. Um, and of course, she's dealing with alcoholism and uh, and 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 in coping and self medicating with with that with coping with all of this stuff as everyone in her life is either manipulating her, mm-hmm. and they're all manipulating her. Even when they're you know purportedly trying to help her, they're all manipulating her. They take her to a couple of psychics, um, a, a different medium, and like <laughs> uh, she basically poo poos those almost immediately. Um, but yeah, she doesn't, she, she struggles with, with, with bouts of, of, and, and, you know, seeming insanity and, and, and drunkenness and, and not knowing how to navigate, um, trying to get her point across, trying to be mansplained to as she has all these <laughs> men standing around her, like looking at her while she's, um, you know, at the, you know, at her dressing table. I, I just like of all of the, of the movies that it's, it's, it's crazy to me that this one also dies. Within a month. Right. And and they can't, like it does well overseas. And that makes sense why it does well overseas. But this movie, again, gets no U.S. distribution. Like (laughs) they talked about like, you know, when Cassavetes was alive, they someone reached out to him. I think it was the New York Film Festival after it showed at MoMA. um, Mm -hmm. They reached out to him and said, hey, we want to show opening night. We're going to show it as part of our lost films section. He's like, fuck that. Like, how can it be lost? I've got a copy of it. Like, you're going to show it as a new film. And and it's just, I, I, how heartbreaking it must have been to do both of these films. But it's really opening night for me and have it like... Like kind of getting back to your roots, but really just having it just, I mean, I guess you having it be successful overseas is something, but like, but having it die here in the U.S. and no one, literally no one seeing it, um, and is, is, is bonkers to me. Well, there's no accounting for bad taste. I mean, I mean, (laughs) I say that as a joke, but I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't get it. I think as, as a Cassavetes fan. Right, I don't get it. But just as a movie fan, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why no one would go see. It. Look at the shit we go watch today. Right. But and 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 even then, like, but in the seventies, seventy seven, seventy eight, we're going to the theater all the time. You're telling me that people wouldn't watch that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but I love. I love speaking of that. The opening of this film from the like. We just see the the audience in this mm-hmm. in this theater, and you're just like, oh, okay. So, and then of course, like we get this big applause and everything. But but that kind of again that level of menace of him commenting on you know audiences watching, or like where are the audiences? I, yeah, right. I, I do think his it, there was a little bit of a nod to his supposed improvisational mm-hmm. uh, aspect of his scripts mm-hmm. as well. Like at the end when they're kind of like jiving together. Um, and, uh, she's, she shows up to the, the final play and she's drunk off of her ass. Like the, the opening night 
of it's not opening night of the Broadway show. It's the last night of the show before it's the like show. Like the preview shows. Yeah. And what I love about this too is because it's such not like a what a real play would be. This is so. This is much kind of. This is Cassavetes being as meta as possible because mm-hmm. clearly in a real world, Gina Rollins would have a understudy. There'd be other people ready to step in. There wouldn't have been this all this consternation of like, oh, we've got an actress who won't say her Where lines is correctly. We've got to find her. <laughs> right. But on, but the last night before the Broadway opening, which again that would never happen either, and they're not going to immediately open up on Broadway. Um, but the last night before the Broadway opening, they can't find her. They go out and send people out in the streets to look for her. They finally find her, and she is blitzed and can't stand up, kind of blitzed. And they decide to fuck it. We're going to put her on. Like don't don't <laughs> don't don't, coffee. don't help go. her. Like let's yeah, go. let's just get her out there. Do, what what does the stage manager say? Oh yeah, He's, yeah. I've seen a lot of drunks in my time, but none that could stand up. Like, but, but none as drunk as you who could still walk. You're fantastic. <laughs> He's just like, oh, you're the best alcoholic I've ever met. Well, you're a real professional. And through all of like the worry about her staying upright and remembering her lines, she actually delivers a powerhouse performance. And of course, then at the end, like you, like like you said, none of these films ever really end. You, you're this is going to go to Broadway and have the same existential problems that she has now. Right. It's just that she's right. gotten through one performance. Right. Women of the Influence has gotten through one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Well, you don't ever really know what's going to happen in in, in the bookie. But if if Cosmo dies. He dies, and the show still goes on. Yeah. And if yeah. he doesn't die, you know, the show still yeah, goes on. Right. It doesn't really <laughs> matter whether he dies or not. Right, well, right. He's not. He's only important in his own mind. Right. right. He's not. I mean, to the. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, none of us are really that important. <laughs> but, but what I mean is, like, yeah, if he he's going to drop dead right there on the street, and someone's just going to step over him, mm-hmm. I mean, that's we just don't get to see it. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um. I. It, I don't have a whole hell of a lot to say. I mean, like, again, there's just so much that there is a lot to unpack here. It's all pretty self-contained, though. I mean, you go from scene to scene. Um, there are some pretty harrowing scenes, like I said, when she beats up the ghost or when she gets yeah. into a physical altercation yeah. with the ghost. And then when she and it all happens really like um, uh, really quickly in regards to like the transitions, because then she goes directly into like you see her with her sunglasses on and she's trying to get into the playwright's suite. Mm-hmm. And then she beats herself up and bloodies her own mm-hmm. face, and mm-hmm. they're trying to put makeup on it, and you know, so all of that happens. Do you know who they wanted for the playwright to begin with? No, Bet Mil- Midler, not Bette Midler, <laughs> Betty Davis, Betty Davis, not, a really, really young <laughs> Bette Midler, <laughs> which would have made sense, you know, writing for an older, writing as an older woman, right? right? No, yeah, Betty Davis. <laughs> uh, I thought Joan Bondell was really good. I thought she was really good yeah. too. I think it would have been a mistake for Betty yeah. Davis to be in that role. I think. That's one of the things of the charm. And I think one, as you see kind of the evolution of Cassavetes' career, I think he gets better at directing and placing non-acting actors, right? These, mm-hmm. these more mm-hmm. of these amateur, um, lesser experienced actors. Because yeah. the people that are also in the play are still really pretty good. Oh, yeah. But they're also yeah. not so good that you wouldn't believe that they'd be in that play, right? right? And right. I think that kind of speaks to, like, and I think people, like, a lot of people kind of get perturbed with, the side speaking characters, like some of the, um, like take the, the, the father at the, at the wake at the, um, for the, for the, for the actress uh-huh. or for the uh-huh. young girl who got yeah. killed. So, so um, she goes, she goes to the, to the apartment. The, the, the is that what it's called? Shiva. Yeah, yeah. Shiva. Yeah. She was Jewish and, and they're just like, you know, you, you, you shouldn't, shouldn't be here. here. Right. I know and who the you father are. just goes like, 
you clearly have never had children, right? <laughs> but but and I'm not saying that particular role in general, but I mean a lot of like the the extra people that may or may not be professional actors. Mm-hmm. Like in mm-hmm. fact, he found um, I forget the actress's name, but he found uh, the woman who plays the young 18 year old off the street. Oh yeah, yeah. like he just drove yeah. by and was like, "Hey, do you want to be in a film?" And, and so, speaking of that, John Toole, who was the the big guy in the play, yeah, he's a teamster. <laughs> yes, yeah. first acting role ever, ever. Right. And, and, and he's good. Oh, he was, he was really good. Yeah. And in fact, when Cassavetes died, I guess he wrote to Gina Rounds and was like, you know, that was like one of the best, you know, times of my life and all this stuff. And he's like, if there's anything ever I can do, I'll, you know, but yeah, but how cool, right? I'm really interested, like if, if Cassavetes had a really good feel for what Second Notion was about, like, like this, the play, that's the play, right? Second woman. I thought it was Second Notion. Second Woman. The Second Woman, so it was all about him. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. And then I, I completely read that wrong today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, was that a fully fleshed out play? Because um, I find that, you know, that whole interaction with his kids running around and, and Gina Rowland's coming up and, like, his, his wife kind of, like, beating the shit out of him. Yeah. And then whoever that was in the background, the other guy that was in the background, like. His brother-in-law. The other guy's, yeah. like, brother-in-law. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the interaction between Maurice and Gina, I mean, obviously, Casavetes and Gina, uh, is so good as well. You know, what's funny to me, too, I was, one of the things I was looking at, too, is, like, have all the ridiculous, like, product placements. Like, the, that big bucket of KFC that's out on the I was like, what the hell's that all about? <laughs> Do you know, but also, wasn't this at a time where some of the fast food was a, a little bit better quality than I'm it sure is it now? I'm sure so it was. I'm sure it was, yeah. it wasn't as sort of, like, I don't know, disgusting? It just seemed funny and out of place. Like, these people, like, I just yeah, feel like all of these... Uh, I, I don't know. I have in my head, especially from like seventies, like Long Island and and in Eastern, you know, Eastern New Yorkers, kind of like this this idea of this. Uh, you know, we go down to the corner market to you know get our baguette and our we and we have somebody. Baguette. Wait, when was the last time you were in Long Island? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean just you know when you go to a grocery store, you got a baguette. You got to get a baguette to go out. But like, and they're always making their their meals. I just feel like these upper crust. Like I, oh. I feel like it's like a seventies version of American Psycho where they go home. After their, you know, three hours at work that day, mm-hmm. <laughs> they drink a lot, they smoke a mm-hmm. lot, they go to the bar first, they come home and have a cocktail, <laughs> and then they go out for dinner. And then they leave their wives. Right. <laughs> and they order something, they don't eat it, and they come home. <laughs> and do it all over again. And then what I'm saying by that is that's the life that I want to lead. Isn't it? Isn't right. It? Isn't it? <laughs> Where we can walk down to the corner store and buy a baguette. Right. I want to go. <laughs> On I wanna, Long Island. I want to get off at 3.30 and well, go yeah. down to the piano. I want to go to piano man bar and like and like go and have a drink uh get into like some scuff with you know um somebody some, hit on someone some, else in a tie right hit on yeah. somebody's name and then i'm gonna go <laughs> and i'm gonna go home Say, hey, do you remember me right you don't remember me <laughs> right, you don't remember me that's right you and don't. then i uh yeah and then ha- and I'm, I'm gonna talk to my kids for about five minutes until they go put to bed and then the wife and i are gonna go but out you're gonna smoke a cigarette while you're talking to them right yeah. and we're gonna go out and have a key party down the street <laughs> i just imagine that's how every 70s day went i mean so and if not i don't want to know about it that's just just no. No, but so speaking of that, I mean, I do think it's telling, harrowing, whatever, how she is exploited in this play by all the male kind of characters, how they're all, I mean, the way they all leer at her, 
too. I mean, it's so intentional. This just like ogling and well, sort of fawning over, and but in a in a very kind of lusty way, not. Well, and you're made to believe that Gazara sleeps with her mm-hmm. just to calm her down, mm-hmm. right? And like, because that's that's all going back to Kevin Smith. That's all. <laughs> Right. That's, all, that's all they need, that's right? It's <laughs> a good dick in you know? <laughs> A good um, deep dick. <laughs> um, and, and, and Gazara's wife, who's like, like you know, one at one point uh, expected to take all of this and, and also to help her get past her alcoholism or whatever thing that she's going through. And, she, all she, and, and like her like aloofness to the whole to the entire situation mm-hmm. was like, Whatever. This mm-hmm. is fucking stupid. Is- I don't even know why I'm here kind of situation. But like, okay, my wife, my husband is banging this, his actress because, um, you know, she's off she's, of a gourd, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're made to believe that that this is a woman who doesn't understand her sexuality and, and to the point where, you know, she uses it at as a as another self-medicating, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, act but this is also seems like a theme in Cassavetti's films as well that I think he really understands that maybe other lesser male directors wouldn't get or wouldn't get across I mean look at Rowlands in in faces look at um uh the character in too late blues mm. how she's like the only thing I have right is my body that's all I know how to use right and if I'm not that what am I so I think this this is kind of there throughout it even even in a woman under the influence I mean, she goes out and she sort of wants attention, and this is how I get attention, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting theme kind of throughout, and how and how men, you know, are all too often after that, only after that, right? Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was very insightful. I know that that, that, was, that was that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, so, so I think a, a couple of things. One, Al Rubin shot this. Um, he was the DP on this film. You know, obviously a producer, long Cassavetti's longtime mm-hmm. producer. Some of the shots in this movie are, I think, really incredible. And I think something about Rubin is the way he's able to photograph skin um, and how it looks, how like there's one shot where Rollins is like hanging her head. And we just get it in profile and her hair is kind of like covering her face. But then, you know, she kind of comes up and the hair goes away and you just see like her cheek and you just want to sort of reach out and touch it. And I'm reaching out to touch Jason's <laughs> cheek right now. Um, <laughs> but it just seems so like it's just right there. I, I don't know. I think I think it's really a, a beautiful film. Um, but because of that, I think especially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I don't I think that. A lot of critics, a lot of the critics writing about this film, always refer to her as as an alcoholic or struggling with alcoholism. And I'm not saying she's not. I mean, she clearly is, but she's also clearly using this to combat something else, right? Like you said, self medicating. Right. She's clearly at at a kind of mental breaking point, and this is the only way she's able to kind of deal with all this stuff. This is the thing I think we overlook with addicts and alcoholics is why, the reasons why, right? It's not just because it's fun to get high, which, you know, right? But, <laughs> but there's something else there. I think for her, it's this idea of aging and not understanding. I think there's more than that, but this this idea that she's really struggling with in the play itself, right? I mean, Joan Bondell, the playwright, 
constantly asks her, how old are you? And she just will never give an answer, right? She never says how old she is in this, in this movie, which, which I really like, that she just refuses to admit that she might be of an age where she has to examine some of these things. Right. Yeah. Roland's character exists. She's the same in Women Under the Influence as she is in this. I mean, yeah. she's, a com- she's not... Roland's is a, is a commodity to everyone around her. She's not a real person, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, in Women Under the Influence, she's a, she's a, a, a wife and a caregiver... To children, um, but that's really all she ever ex- is expected to be, and 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 then she's treated with kid gloves because she's fragile. I mean, and and from from a mental state. In this, she's just like I mean, Cassavetes is right. She's just a professional. She's just an actress. She's not. She's never really even given a name. I mean, like so she the, the it doesn't it makes sense that the one thing that she that she constantly wants to go back to and that everyone else ignores and and like treats her um you know almost with not with either indifference or tries to uh ghost it out of her is the is the the remembrance of her youth and the Mm -hmm. youth that is that that so once that obviously metaphor gets killed and gets run over Mm -hmm. her trying to like oh my god wait a minute stop stop wait what happened to that Mm -hmm. and then was like fuck it we just want to eat i don't care like it doesn't matter right right? that's such a i I mean this happens so early right where we 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 see this young woman get hit by a car and she's the only one who seems at all (laughs) and everyone's like i'm hungry come on like you know (laughs) come on i'm hungry need to go eat and she's like i'm not gonna go eat I'm like you're gonna regret it you're gonna regret not <laughs> the restaurants eating. are gonna close the restaurants are gonna close <laughs> but yeah and then you know she like looks for the papers the next day or a couple of days later and she finds the story and everyone's just like just let it go and she's like, are you fucking serious like <laughs> i mean and of course i mean as the movie goes on we start to see that metaphorical connection with like the, the, right. the literal death but yeah no one else cares no one else cares what she's going through Right, get your shit together and do this play. That's all we care about. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 really fantastic. The use of colors, I think, are really good in this too, and also bookie. I mean, the shooting, shooting in the bar through gels mm-hmm. right, to to depict a certain kind of color is great. But in this one too, just like the use of red in the carpet, the use of red in the hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really. Yeah, Bookie does have a have a, a distinct look and feel to it that you don't typically get with yeah. with the Casavetes film, um, or at least you hadn't up until that point anyway. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and but I go ahead. I think this is what's also so great about Casavetes is that we get a film like Faces, and then we get a film like Opening Night, which I think is much more controlled, right? right? A much more controlled. But then you get Bookie, which is this meandering. Right. I mean, and again, that's one reason I like it, the aimlessness of this, of that film. But they're distinct. All three are distinct shooting styles. And so even if we call Cassavetes an auteur, his sort of framing and use of camera movements are not necessarily cohesive throughout. Right. right? Which I also think is is where he's going with this form doesn't fit this content. I've got to change something up here. Which I think is always. Yeah. I just imagine being in the audience trying to watch, like, watch Bookie for the first time, and like, wait a minute, what, what the fuck? Like, okay, there were two women who were fight, clearly fighting, and we didn't see any of that on screen. I know. Like, like he, he gets shot. We just see the gun. There's no blood at all. We do see a couple of guys take a bullet and 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 fall yeah, backwards, fall. but that's but we, it's so quick. We see Cosmo kind of flinch at one point as he's running. Right. 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 But again, it's adrenaline. I don't know. I see. I. This is, it's another reason that I think 
Cassavetes fits so well with sort of like the European directors is he he doesn't feel like he has to show you every single thing that happens, right? It doesn't matter how we got from here to here. We just did, okay? Things happen that we don't need to sort of see. We don't have to hold your hand through everything. Right? Some of these other things we'll take our time with, but right? we're also going <laughs> to cut and move on. Right. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I really dig that about his his approach. Right? Yeah. yeah. So... Anyway, and we're almost done. <laughs> uh, anything else about either of these two films? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think we covered it yeah. uh, pretty well, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Jason is patting himself on the back right now. Um, um, did you do any pairings? With I this didn't, one? but okay. I'm more happy to listen okay. to you if you did. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you some some sort of pairings. I think for these. So. Um, this is a solo recommended, if you like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I may throw some in. Okay, I mean, yeah, if, I, so, if I think it's anything off the cuff. Um, so for for real women have curves, I thought a good pairing, a good kind of recommendation would be uh, Jillian Robespierre's Obvious Child. Sorry, mm -hmm. Judy Slate. It's not a direct one to one kind of analog, but I think the vibes are there, right? The the kind of female empowerment, the taking a a, a taboo subject as kind of the the inciting inciting event of this story and letting this woman make her decision and, and, and saying, I'm going to make this decision. But the way she deals with it, I think, is, is a really nice. Yeah, and it's yeah. not told from an aspect of kind of in-your-face, right. fuck you, this is what I'm going to do right. kind of thing. Right. Right? It doesn't, right. it, it's just a more of a matter of like, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but it's not this idea of like me against the world or I'm going to prove a point. I'm just right. going to do this for myself. Right. right? right. Yeah. 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 So that was that was my pick for curves um, for Bookie. I thought about the 2014 film Hyena uh, directed by Gerard Johnson. Um, and again, it's it's a vibes connection mm -hmm. of a man who is sort of under the thumb of some mobsters and is willing to do things he doesn't really want to do to kind of stay afloat again a kind of he's a corrupt cop but he's also you know um more clueless than he thinks he is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? nice. this is a this is a grittier darker film than bookie with an even more cynical view of the world but you know that's why i like it so have cool. you seen that i have not yeah. seen that no it's 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 not great but it's interesting hmm. i mean it's good um, well, I like hyenas. I mean, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's basically about no, it's, hyenas. No, it's right? just like laughing the whole time. <laughs> right. yeah. um, it's the hyenas from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Excellent. It's they their just, story. They just have resorted to sort of, you know, racketeering and, right. and, and drugs. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. For opening night. I think also, though, I think the, the sort of obvious choice for Bookie is Uncut Gems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, look, the Safties are like the anti-Casavetis, though. I mean, in a certain, I mean, like there's, whereas Casavetis shows you nothing, the Safties will show you everything. And I'm right. not saying that is, I, I enjoy those films, but Jesus Christ, like there's just a different level of like tiredness, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right yeah. after those, yeah. Movies. There's a there's a different sort of energy, right? Both have energy, but yeah, there's a different sort of energy there. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's those types. I mean, like this isn't a kind of a well-worn territory where people are, you know, constantly self-destructive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about like mm -hmm. bad lieutenant and things oh, like that, yeah. where these, yeah. these, these men are always just, um, there's a really, really, uh, 
fun Canadian film. Not to say fun, it's interesting, I guess. It's not necessarily like haha hilarious. But have you ever seen Owning Mahoney with uh, yeah, Philip Seymour? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of a similar vibe where this guy is constantly, he's a gambling addict mm-hmm. and, and, and he works for a bank and is making, he's making accounts where he can take out loans against, uh, so he can, so he can gamble. And this, uh, John Hurt is a owner of a casino who flies him out because he's a big whale, but he's nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's that when, when Hoffman is like looking at the line, it's like, I'm going to bet all the American league home teams. I'm going to bet all the national league away teams just for this today. I don't give a shit. I don't even give a shit what they are. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> it's not about winning. It's just about making the bet. Right. It's, right. And that's right. kind of what the bookie, you know, the, the storyline is too. Yeah. It's like, and then, and uncut gems as well as like, it's, it's really just about the action doesn't, I don't really care if I win or lose. Yeah. It's just about being at the table. Yeah. For me, the action is the juice. <laughs> the action is the juice. <laughs> All right, right Pete, so, size one. <laughs> um, op- for opening night, I would recommend Mulholland Drive. Okay. Right? David Lynch film. Again, another film about sort of the trials and tribulations and nefarious goings on around Hollywood. Right. Which I yeah. think in, you know, some respects, opening night is very much a movie about mo- making movies. Yeah. There was a it was an Altman film with Nev Campbell where she the was company. Like the company. Yeah. I'd kind of she's I'd, a dancer. Yeah. yeah, that'd be my. That's oh, that's a good that that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so but I haven't seen that in a while. I think I saw it when it came out, and I don't yeah. think I've seen it since that's, then. That's, so and Terrence Stamp is in it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell's dating a chef. Right, so mm-hmm. she gets to go home <laughs> right. to her date the studio, and he's got this like great like meal made for. Her. Man, that's the life. Mm. <laughs> Instead, I work all day, go home, and I have to cook, too. It's just, you know, Look, it's not the 70s I'm, anymore. Man, I right? walk in the door. What's for dinner? I just got home. So? <laughs> right. I, mean, I just made my very petite partner sound like she's an eight feet tall. <laughs> Motherfucker, feed me. She's Carrie from these fucking movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her name is Flo. <laughs> I, I do. I, I mean, th- that lament, like, I just... He just seems so like uh, suited to be in his, uh, you know, in his mm-hmm. suite of actors, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and like had you had him in, I, I don't necessarily know, like he doesn't work in Husbands um, and I don't know if he works before then either, but like having him as a, as a foil in, in uh, Woman of the Influence or, or in, in, you know, I think He's just such a good guy to like throw a scene around. Like he would have worked in faces or shadows, mm-hmm. like as a guy just mm-hmm. to kind of like throw something to um and have him there. Um yeah, well, you can't use him in Cassell, you can't use him in Cassell's role in like faces or anything, but like it's but I don't know. There's just something about that guy. He's so good in this. Like I just I, I just feel like Casvetis was just like, oh like what I found. I want to I want to use this guy wherever well, I can. And he must have seen him in Kubrick's work. Yeah. Kubrick, yeah. Kubrick's early works. But I mean, I love have you seen his like picture on IMDB's profile picture? <laughs> yes. It's yeah. so good. It's so ghoulish, but also so sort of funny and yeah. sad at the same time. It's I don't know. And his hair. Have you watched World Greatest Center? No. It's not an easy watch. It's okay. not a. I mean, it's it's a, it's an interesting yeah. like little side note in the and the Zappa song. Mm. Um, he's a winner as a center. Mm. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. banger of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little rough around the edges and like this something like it's it is much is very much like a student film that this guy took yeah. you know for you know forever to put together. But right. um, 
you can, there's a website out there called rarefilm.net, I think, mm-hmm. that, that has a whole bunch of like these kind of quote unquote lost films okay. and, and, and World Greatest Centers out there. You can watch it out there. Okay. Um, not great quality, of course. It was never like a 4K restoration of the World's <laughs> Greatest Center because like four people have seen it. But uh, <laughs> um, speaking of, of, of sort of these side guys, Mr. Sophistication was a screenwriter. Yeah. yeah worked yeah. with Tennessee Williams on a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Yeah. Which. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, fantastic. Anything else on uh, these these patches of Cassavetes? No, no, not at all. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm sure we could go on for days, but no, I'm good. Yeah, but at this point, I mean, I need I need it's rest sustenance. after watching those. No, right. I just need I just need to sort of like recharge because again, like these are these are emotionally draining films. I mean, I watch these things and I'm like, and again, I I like Bookie more than you, and I think we both really love Opening Night. But man, they take a toll. Yeah. I mean, even going, even shadows takes a toll, and it's and it's a different kind of kind of beast than these. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad but, a woman under the influence and opening night didn't fall back to back. Oh, I'm glad we had a little bit of separation oh, between those two. Oh, some kind of like genre intervention, right? right? Yeah, but oh, man. and I think we're. We're going into a similar duo of films. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, very much so. So, like this, yeah. like Bookie equals Gloria, and and loves. Yep. Uh, and Love Stream is more like Opening Night yeah. I mean, in terms of like you know vibe and stuff. Yeah. people what we're going to do next time we are going to watch a hulu film called no one will save you or something along those lines with caitlin deaver who didn't star in everyone wants some we're going to talk about gloria uh the john cassavetes crime film with gina rollins uh, as well as love streams and we're going to touch upon his last film big trouble which is a film that he took over because peter falk asked him to and it was kind of a loose remake of devil indemnity um and so and the the, the but, writer of that film initially directed it and they they fired him right right yeah. yeah that is true yeah and that's it and that's what we'll talk about next time yeah. but we're not going to end on, on big we're trouble. not we're going to, to we're going trouble. to end on on love streams and we're going to exit very much like cassavetes did by playing the jukebox and then we'll get to decide what we do next and then and then we can kind of like like maybe like wash ourselves and like kind of shed this um Heaviness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We'll, I'm sure we'll dive right back into something else. And we all but... know how much I like light fare. <laughs> right. What, I don't know if there's a, what can we do? Like we tackle the earnest movies or, or, or uh... <laughs> no, <laughs> let's, let's go back in the vault for Disney. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do three Caballeros, uh, song of the South. No, I th- and, yeah, uh... yeah. I think we'll do, we'll do Bambi. We'll do, um, Dumbo. Oh, we'll do, um, um, Fox and the Hound. Yeah. Let's, and let's their, and their live those. action remakes. Of this. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that, uh, who the, most um and speaking of fucking like um ip driven horseshit and who scorsese came out i guess i ruined this surprise if you had it heard who's been tapped to do the next two bond movies no no who christopher oppenheimer nolan is supposed to be yeah yeah they've uh they've decided that he can put butts in seats and that uh he, of course, who's going to be the next Bond? We don't know yet, do we? Aaron Taylor Johnson oh, is the front runner. Sure. Oh, there's the front runner, but yeah, yeah, I'm still um, holding out a hope for Idris Elba. It won't. Ed, Elba's too old at this point. Uh, look, look, like I'm, I'm, Elba, I'm with you. Elba, I'm with that, you. Look, there's never been a hunkier Bond if he becomes Bond, or a rougher, <laughs> more rougher tumble Bond than like and Stringer Bell as Bond. Fuck yeah, give me that, man. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like Aaron Taylor Johnson seems fine, I guess. I just I don't there's nothing exciting about yeah. like and I mean also he's kind of heavily entrenched into comic book movies at this point. So yeah. it seems so, a little bit like you're kind of I mean, I guess whatever. It isn't just not a guy. So um but yeah, I mean like going back into and like it's just funny because um, you know, the whole GQ article that was Scorsese just came out and he was like, I've got one more movie in me and like, we got to save cinema and we got to start fighting back against these IP driven films. And, and then, and then, but he also, and I guess everyone was giving, I don't know, the shade a little bit because he was like, you know, watch Nolan films. And they were like, well, he did Batman films. Not that like, not that I expect an 80 year old man to be up on, like, I'm sure he ignores all that shit. He spends all of his time making movies. I can't imagine him like really trying to like, but but if he knows about these comic book movies and then it's like, Oh, Nolan, (laughs) how do you then be like, well, he did all the Batman stuff and him just go, well, that doesn't count. (laughs) He did it in a different, I mean, have you seen the picture of the GQ article? It it is a close up of Scorsese's face, but like, a wild like 4K close I and mean, like I mean not that or Scorsese's it, but it's like you can count the hairs on that are coming on on yeah. his nose kind of st- it's like crazy like, close. Why? Why <laughs> it's just it? like why didn't you airbrush those out? Like it's just <sighs> or like take a step back. I like Scorsese. He's a fine looking old man, but sure, I mean, like, but like why do yeah yeah back up? <laughs> but also like look, he's starting to. It, I tend to look, agree with him on the like I'm not a big Marvel or comic book like fan or IP. Like I I hate this stuff. Right, I do. But at the same time, if he's out there sort of shouting at clouds, talking about how we need to save cinema, and then well, going and th- this direction. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a little, I think it's one of those things that, I, I, it's weird to me that that he doesn't really have the um, historical context to it all. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I know it's been a couple of decades, right? Since, what, 2008 when Iron Man came out or something along those lines. And so it's been 15, 16 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. that we've had a kind of a, a every year we're getting two of these things. And I get it. Um, but, I mean, like, but you can already see that the backlash is, is I mean, that the, that the audience for this is starting to tire. Um, and, I mean, like, I guess you, you got to take some solace in thinking that... Um, Barbie and Oppenheimer. I know Barbie's IP, but I mean these movies are doing extremely well. Yeah. Um. So I, mean, I don't know. I I I I do get his. I mean, obviously, I I I I don't think it's killing cinema. I think cinema is eating its own tail. Well, I don't. Right, I, I don't right. think that. I think there are bigger problems than right. just the Marvel comic book movies, right? Or even IP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's studios that are trying to to go directly to streamers and, and stream themselves and, 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 you know, cutting out the windows. I and mean, it's not the, the theaters are going to have to figure out something on their own. And it's not going to be the movies that, that put, you know, that, that get, get people in. It's a reduction of the amount of money that these, that these entities are having to, having to bring in. And that's really what the end of the end of the day is going to be. Theaters are going to turn themselves into crazy horse East, crazy horse West. <laughs> Crazy Horse North and Crazy Horse South. Look, Mr. Sophistication is going to have to come in. That's what's going to save cinema. <laughs> right. That's why the people are coming right, to see Mr. Sophistication. If they can figure out what, sh- what, what song's on. If the, yeah. yeah then I can't it. give you anything but love, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us today. <laughs> Un- until next time, thank you for listening. And keep screaming. Let's get the show on the road. Hey, Ron. Hi. 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 Hi.
You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time... Ah!